Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and I'm happy to have Broderick Chavez, the evil genius, on the podcast again. And in this episode, we will be covering off some of your questions over kind of the high carb, low fat mass. Um, and well, how are you doing, Broderick? Uh, I'm doing well, but uh, you're happy to have me now. <laughs> An hour from now, let's see if you're still happy. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's get into it, guys. Let's see. Okay, right. Um, I'll uh, end up talking to you for too long if I don't get into the kind of okay. the high carb, um, low fat questions that have come through. Did you have any you wanted specifically cover before I kind of get into the ones I've got? You know, I, I, in concurrence in, with that podcast we did, I wrote a little piece that Mike okay. Israel posted. I got a staggering just melee of responses. You know, just ranging from, oh, you know, that's new and interesting and clever. That's, you know, I'm going to take take that and think about it. And first of all, it's not new or interesting uh, to literally emails that you could hear the salty, crusty tears as you read it. Just, I stopped eating carbs and I lost 96 pounds. You're an asshole. <laughs> you know, just, so, and then everything in the middle. Um and, and I don't mean to completely besmirch people, but the idea that biology runs on glucose uh, and muscles are built with protein and fats are really just a storage mechanism. I mean, that's, I don't know, maybe a hundred years old. It's not new information. Um, certainly you could disagree with the strategy, but you really can't disagree with the fundamentals of this does this, this does this, and this does this. Um, it's just, I don't really understand people's surprise or confusion or, um, but I, you know, I'm me and not those people. So apparently they have a perspective. It's just one that I fail to grasp. So that, that's pretty much where I'm at on the subject, but by all means, hit me with what you have. <laughs> Okay, perfect. Um, and yeah, I mean, just to talk on that subject, I think a lot of people are dogmatic about their viewpoints. And even to the point of I can completely relate to it. I remember um, actually coming across, I think it was like La McDonald and Alan Aragon, who were first kind of the people I found preaching the fact that you could eat these junky foods and still not kind of like completely damage your body and gain loads of fat and I was like no that can't be right I have to eat clean and do all these things and um, it upsets people's and they kind of they're almost religious with their ways of eating and things like that so um, I can see why you might get some of those hatred uh, messages coming across absolutely and and again to 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 reflect on one of my intellectual heroes uh, Arthur Jones often pointed out that success is the most dangerous thing you can have because if what you're doing has led you to success, it's very easy to latch onto and that must be right. It doesn't mean that. It simply means that that led you to success. doesn't mean that there might be other or better ways. It just means that for you, under the conditions you were doing, that was acceptable. And that's an easy, easy thing to forget. Um, you know, Arthur Jones often pointed out that losing is the thing that teaches you because now you know what you did didn't work. Something needs adjusting. At least now you have an enemy. 
success is not an enemy. And so that I, I, I kind of intellectually or, or even emotionally understand those people's perspective. But at the same time, you got to buy a book, you got to read, you got to at some point try and fill in some gaps. And that's where shit goes wrong. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, it's always when I'm challenged on my beliefs is when I learn the most. So I can even Absolutely. remember back in a podcast with Mike Isretel, um, and I was talking about taking better alanine as a bodybuilder. And he was kind of like, hang on, Steve, why are you taking that? Um, and he made me really readjust my perspective on it. And it was just like, ah, maybe I shouldn't be doing this thing. And um, I think you can, if people are feeling challenged by it and they are kind of like, oh, this low, low fat, high carb thing, I don't know about it. I mean, if, if why not give it a try? <laughs> like there's no harm in trying something. Yeah. Again, I, I, you know, everything has pluses and minuses, everything. You know, it's it's a topic that's near and dear to me, so it's probably a little less obtuse to me than it is to you. But like, you know, even the concept of steroids, no one anywhere is going to argue that they don't work. They, they work. They're effective. That's why drug users are bigger and stronger than non-drug users. But for everything they do, there is a negative, even though most of us weigh it out and say – the positives wildly outweigh the negatives. I'm going to go for it. But there is still negatives. It's not, you know, even in scenarios where the negatives are not like life threatening or whatever, there's still negatives, cost, legality, you know, stuff. There's there's negatives. Hell, just having a big sore lump on your ass. That's a it's a negative. There's a lot of things. You I mean, you make a list, um, you know, same thing here. You know, eating a high carb diet has some negatives. One of them is you're going to find yourself simply eating more, spending more time putting fucking food in your face. That that could be a negative. And depending on who you are, where you are, and what your conditions are, it might be sufficiently negative to steer you away from it. But again, you have to just be clear-minded enough to make a list and go, this is what it would require, and this is you know what I'm willing to spend. And we you know, we, we do a little math and we come to a balance. Ah, it's not for me or it is for me or it looks so good. I better try it anyway. Or, you know, or fuck that. I hate rice or there's <laughs> gotta be, you have to be able to tie it to some actual cognizant concept. You can't just, you know, it, it's that it's I, I, again, for any of you out there that are religious, I don't apologize it's like that fucking thing with, you know, like the Catholic church, just the bigger the hat, the more correct they are. Fuck that. It's not that it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. The hat size has nothing to do with the understanding of anything. Um, that's where we're at with this. You, you, it's not faith. It's thought. Yeah. Yeah. Something that religious people are particularly tentative with, but anyway, <laughs> Sorry. So it's fine. We're, this brings us to a good point at which we can uh, get to the questions that I've got anyway that yeah, came no, through. No. I saw them over the YouTube video um, and also in our Facebook group. So <laughs> one of them was um, saying, so on off days, consuming high carbs like training days. And they said, is this still the case when cutting or is it better to have more carbohydrates on the days that we're training when we are dieting? Um, so yeah, does the high carb, low fat mass kind of translate the same way to a cutting phase? <laughs> well, first of all, there, there's a whole bunch of points there I'll address. Yeah. 
um, in reverse order, when talking about dieting, you are again, there's a grand equation. There's a balance. There's an equal sign in the middle and there's some 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 factors on one side and some factors on another side. And you have to perform a manipulation of the factors to maintain that balance. When dieting, the goal of the operation is ultimately over time to reduce calories. So any opportunity you have to not eat calories probably meets your requirements. It meets your fundamental tenant, which is I want to debit calories from this diet. So if I have an opportunity where these calories are seemingly unnecessary, let's remove them. That's good old-fashioned horse sense that you don't need to be particularly clever to figure that out. Again, I oversimplify this shit, but there you are. Mm -hmm. You know, it's pretty straightforward. So in that case, I would say the answer is yes, but not for some clever physiologic reason that, oh, I'm going to replete glycogen or I'm going to this thing or I'm going to starve that thing or I'm going to initiate some metabolic process. It's just simple budget. I don't necessarily need them. Let's take those away. That's calories I get to eat another day. Boom. It's done. It's that simple. Now, putting that aside and going to the you know, weight gaining, mass accumulation, hypercaloric environment, people have this desperate desire to want to, uh, oh, I'm working out today, so I'm going to eat this much carbs, but tomorrow I'm not going to work out, so I'm not going to eat those carbs. Um, there is, again – mathematically perfectly by the ledger there's a certain amount of sense to that you know if your expenses go up one day you stay at work 15 minutes earlier to make that different amount of money it makes sense there's a a smooth logic to that however here's my rebuke to that first of all and i don't mean to offend yeah i do don't mean to offend um most especially natural bodybuilders are just not very big. They're 60, 70, 80 kilo people. How many calories do you actually burn in a weight training workout? What, what is that number? I mean, that could be as small as 200. Maybe if you're a fucking animal, it might be 400. That's not, that's 100 grams of carbohydrates at the outside Is that really your tipping point? I mean, are you on such, especially on a mass gaining arrangement, are you balancing on such a knife blade that 40, 50, 60 grams of carbs is your, is your failure point? It makes no sense. It's dwelling on something that just isn't relevant. Okay. You overate by 50 grams today, but you're going to work out tomorrow. So that's going to debit that 50 and over the course of two weeks, it's just, going to balance itself right out action over time. It's yeah. that's how it works. Um, and again, talking about thinking deeper and further and around the corners, there's value in consistency of signaling. Every single day you wake up the same person and you eat the same amount of calories signals match. There's continuity and consistency to an end game. If every single day you wake up the same person, but calories are doing this and weight training's doing that and some other shit, yeah, there's an average in there somewhere, action over time. But the more average the average is, yeah. the easier it is to define. Again, I'm not being revolutionary here. I'm pointing out like like anybody with a spreadsheet 
two minutes and one good fucking eye should be able to spot this stuff like right away. Like, oh, look at that. Nice straight line. Boom. I, again, I, I know I'm oversimplifying. And t- to those of you out there that are turning red and getting mad, I know I sound a little edgy, but it's only because I'm literally I'm reiterating stuff from like my seventh grade science class. And, and, I, and it, it's I'm just not good at that sort of thing. Um, so I, I do apologize for that. I do. I do apologize for that. <laughs> no, I think we've covered it before in which people seem to be very particular about trying to match up their kind of energy expenditure to their calorie out intake, like on a daily level and try and kind of match that exactly. And like we've discussed before, these things are dynamic. You can't be exact about them. Even when we're talking about 200, 300 calories burnt in a workout, that's not necessarily net calories because you're burning. If you went to the shops, you probably burn more calories than if you just went and weight trained. So people just don't think about these sort of things. And and, and also again, and I mean, I'm not, I'm a quote expert and I'm not competent enough to talk about, you know, you worked out yesterday. So you set in motion a cascade of biological shit. And then, now you're trying to predicate today on just what you're doing today, but a whole bunch of stuff happened previous to today, and the consequences of that are going to continue today and into the future. So some of that 300 calories that you would have normally consumed for your workout was actually paying off a debt accrued yeah. yesterday. How do you define which is that? Well, my workout's only 237 calories and the other, you know, 63 calories are from yesterday's workout. So I'll eat those 63 and I'll avoid that. Come on. You're going to be out of your fucking mind. Um, It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, again, think about this. Remove yourself from the gym. Remove yourself from this train of thought and think laterally. How does your budget work? All of you out there are solvent. You ultimately make money or best case or worst case, don't lose money over time. You go to work, you work all week long, you get paid in one day, and then you pay your bills most likely in one or two days. So your actual expenditure and income are really, really radical. But smoothed out over time, it amounts to your bank account grows a few dollars every month or week or whatever, and you make money. That's your hypertrophy. It's accrued over time. And and if people want to – I know because I am very much like the listeners – to make this really simple and something they'll be able to comprehend is kind of like when we're talking about macros – we often talk about hitting like a weekly average. So your calories over the week, they might kind of fluctuate a little bit, but by the end of the week, what's that average? That's what's really going to matter, kind of that action over time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it, it can't be any other way. Uh, you know, again, species would not survive. You know, this whole seasonal change, feast and famine, if we were that fragile, that the momentary conditions were that imperative, no species would live past the yeah. moment. And actually, on a related note, because this might come up, I'm just thinking how um, we've talked about kind of massing, cutting. What do you do anything different when you do do a deload? Or I know you hate the term deload, but taper. Um, do you change anything in that in that regard, kind of in terms of energy intake and things like this? Actually, I don't, and I'll tell you why. Because again, like being in a hypercaloric environment, the concept of a deload or a titration of energy and work expenditure is 
recovery. Recovery is fueled by energy. You don't recover for free. You have to have a surplus of energy versus your expenditure to ensure that there's sufficient energy to do that recovery. So unless we're in a scenario where, again, we're dieting and body fat manipulation is the overriding concern, that's a separate animal. But just in a general off-season, I'm training now, I'm a little too trained and I need to back off. One, signaling lower calories signals you want the body to be smaller, which you fucking don't. And two, you need energy surplus to fuel this recovery that you're trying to seek. So again, the two major logic points dictate that no, lowering calories then would not be the proper thing unless we're dealing with injury or something where it's a protracted deload, in which case we might start with ma you know, maintaining calories and then decrease them over time after that recovery has been fueled. Again, that makes sense, but just in a, I'm going to reduce my activity for five days. Again, what's your, what's your workout cost really for five days? It's, you know, 300 calories a day. That's 1500 calories. That's a quarter of a pound of body fat. If it was actually turned into body fat. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not impressed. I just, I think the biggest thing I try and prevent people doing or like I like to make sure they don't do it, and I think that you've made it probably clear is that kind of getting the understanding that a deload is time to recover, repair, refuel and by cutting calories further, especially when you're in a deficit sort of state is just not a good idea. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's worse than not so good. It's literally antithetical. It's the opposite yeah. of what you're trying to do. It's, you know, literally, if your goal is to accumulate more money not going to work is the worst possible way to do that. Like I'm going to reduce my income and that's going to get me more money. Really? Write that book. Cause I'll buy it. Yeah. Like what the fuck? <laughs> you know, again, that's it's people have the inability to think laterally. They think only about what they're doing. And somehow weight training is a secret society that our logic only applies here. And this is mine. And the reality is this shit applies to everything. It you know, just make it finances, make it, you know, women or porn or whatever it is you like, move, move your logic over to that. And then, you know, if your goal is to watch more porn, but you turn off the fucking internet, well, it's not going to help you. Like it's you, you, you have to be consistent in your reasoning. No, definitely. Cool. So we've covered that question. Um, and I actually, I'm almost a bit worried to ask you this question because I, I don't think it's going to go down too well. Um, but someone has asked and I want to ask it because I think, the audience will really appreciate it. Your thoughts on kind of refeeding during deficits. So having a refeed a day at maintenance or maybe even in that surplus whilst we're trying to diet. <coughs> Again, I will make the distinction between a physiologic impact and an emotional impact. If it is beneficial on the big picture, then I'm okay with it. But don't lie to me and tell me that it's doing some magical physiologic thing. It's it's resetting my this point, it's adjusting my thyroid that thing, it's changing my insulin sensitivity this thing. One day doesn't change nuts, ever. I mean, sure to get hit by a bus, one day is not changing your health. No, 
That's a lie. However, if you come to me and say, I'll lose my fucking mind and murder my neighbors if I don't eat on Wednesday, I say, go ahead and eat. <laughs> you see, there's a difference. Like, don't lie about why you're doing it. And, and in that case, it suddenly becomes okay. It's action over time. It's averages over time. You average the six low days, the one high day, you get five, you know, you get six medium, seven medium days. That medium number is acceptable to achieve your goal. Everything's square. Just don't make up pseudoscience bullshit and tell me that you're resetting the metabolic constant of the fucking universe by eating carrots one day a week. You're lying to everyone, and I don't appreciate it. It's wrong. Just don't do it. If you just say, I'm eating carrots because I fucking want to eat carrots, I'm going to go, no problem. Fucking eat away. Go, go. You, you know what I mean? That it, I'm that dogmatic about being dogmatic. Yeah, yeah. Just if, if that's what you got to do, that's what you got to do. I don't care. Just don't lie to me and make up dumb shit. You know, I, I it's funny because I almost forgive the Dave Palumbos and all those people of the world because they're at least doing it for a reason, and that reason is their own personal gain. But it's at least a reason you can draw a line and go, oh, he said that because that'll sell macadamia nut oil. And <laughs> OK, OK, like I, I can I can follow the logic chain to at least see why that was the premise. But these people, there's just masses of people out there that just they they make it up because they're just not comfortable with the fact that. But that's how I want to do it. Yeah. At the end of the day, that's the real answer. And then they have to create this goofy pseudo religion around spike days and refeeds. And no, it's just you're tired of dieting. You want to eat that day. It makes you feel better. The next few days are more tolerable. Boom. Yeah. It's done. Again, we can write all of that down. I want to post it. note. Yeah. I'm literally, I'm going to write a diet book one day <laughs> and I'm going to write one fucking post-it notes and that's going to, that's going to be it. Like literally it'll be like a, like 60 pages of just post-it notes. I'm going to go down to Staples and just, that's what's going to, you're going to get in the mail. It's like, ah, oh, here's your diet book. Like, you know, and you can just peel it off and stick it, you know, you know, and literally like every third page is just going to be, don't eat like an asshole. Oh <laughs> fuck. That's page 67. You know, and then I can have those commercials like L Ron Hubbard where, you know, people can go on and, you know, post a note, page 67 changed my life. <laughs> this, the really sad thing is I'm actually thinking this is going to be really, this will be a top seller for you, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and it would be better than all the books. Well, not all of them, the majority of the books out there at the moment. So <laughs> be more practical. It really would, you know, and it's got like little sticky shit on it. Like there's something too. There's at least some science involved. Anyway. No, awesome. No, I'm glad we covered that because I think it just helped emphasize the point there that we had action over time. Again, it's just like the, the take home point almost always. Um, yep. so there was a, another question, um, that came through, I think on the YouTube video, and they said lots of factual inaccuracies in this interview. Glucose isn't the only sub substrate which can be used by cells directly for energy. Fatty acids are also burned directly. Um, and I didn't know if you wanted to have any comments um, on this. Well, again, there, that's accurate. Yeah. It, it is accurate. And there's actually way more to it than that. Like there's like, like high and low density, uh, you know, LDL, ACL particles. There's all kinds of things that can and in certain nerve cells, brain cells, 
certain gastric cells that these things are the literally the only thing they use. So th- there is a ton of accuracy in that statement that it's relatively inaccurate, minus the fact that the context we're talking about is hypercaloric and carbohydrate dominant. I mean, again, it's not something that I can argue. We can remove carbohydrates 100% from diet and continue to live. However, the way we do that is a process called ketosis, where the body breaks down all sorts of other things, proteins, fats, and other things, and makes pseudo-carbohydrates. So, yes, that is an accurate statement, but in the context of a hypercaloric diet that involves carbohydrates, carbohydrates are always, for the predominance of tissues, the preferential fuel. There's no argument there. Again, that's sixth or seventh grade biology, folks. It it just is. Can it be done other ways? Absolutely. Because, again, fundamental sixth or seventh grade biology, the most – Biological imperative action a creature can do is not die. So it has redundancies upon redundancies to prevent dying. Not just because something doesn't precipitate death doesn't mean that it's particularly positive. Take a moment, absorb that. Take a moment, think of that. There's a lot of things you could survive that aren't necessarily good or good for you Mm -hmm. or wholesome or comfortable or friendly or you know keep adding words whatever you want yes that's accurate but it's accurate in an absurd context yeah like yeah yeah i I can design a diet you know again everybody loves to reference inuits yeah you can design a diet where you live on fucking fish scales and whale blubber yeah we we have that but it's like 87 people and they're fucking inbred and ugly as fuck it's not particularly useful (laughs) Stop! It's just fucking stop! No, it's very similar. This reminds me of kind of the often heard statement, you can find a study to prove anything. And that is true in some contexts, but that's because, I mean, the, the it's just manipulated in a way that isn't <laughs> applicable to so many people or something along those lines. Absolutely. Uh, a perfect a, a perfect example of that is I had a particularly snarky and sarcastic uh, professor in college who, uh, against his will, was essentially forced to teach statistics. And he pointed out the complete and utter fallacy of statistics. Um, this was you know, circa like 1992 or something, so I don't know if the numbers still apply, but his premise was the population of the earth today, on that day, was roughly commensurate to the population that has ever been. If you add up all the people that have been alive, it was roughly equal to the number of people that were presently alive. Gives you a moment of pause on population, but nonetheless. So of people, since the inception of people, only half of them are dead. Therefore, you can statistically say your odds of dying are only 50%. Everyone in the room knows that's ludicrous, but everyone in the room with a calculator could not disprove it. <laughs> okay? So, again, you got to think a little beyond the end of your own dick. Yeah, you just have to. It's just, you know, and for some that's longer than others. It's just <laughs> genetics. It's just 
Oh dear, we're going into a different topic there, Broderick. So uh, we're we're going to the, the next question, um, which is as far as carbs helping insulin and muscle growth. They've said I have been under the impression carbs have no additive effect. Isn't the amount of insulin required to reach maximum protein balance already reached with protein? Um, yeah. Um. I'm trying to ferret out what that actually means that the consumption of protein generates sufficient insulin to maximize anabolism of course not again without going into any complicated science and giving a lesson on trans for glute or you know glute 4 translocation and, and all of that focus on this bodybuilders the biggest most muscular people on the planet no argument there use insulin for the purpose of becoming the biggest, strongest people on earth. Okay. I can understand that they might try it once or twice just to, oh, you know, I'll try that. It didn't work. But as a genre, they're consistently doing that. That very logically leads you on to believe that there's something to it. That insulin in excess seems to make muscle in excess. So without even going into science, like you can kind of just work your way through that. Like you literally, again, you could be a waterhead and figure out, hey, that group of people is successful and they're doing this. Maybe that has validity. Yeah. And I guess I part of the question, I think, is what I was getting from it as well is more carbs. Does that equal more insulin produced? Um, I, of course. Is, yeah. That uh, was again, kind of- yeah. Um, again, uh, you know. Once again, um, by any clinical dietetic book, by any book targeted at diabetics, people who have the inability to produce insulin, what is the number one recommendation? Less carbs, more evenly throughout the day, and of a lower glycemic index. It's almost as if the carbs directly influence Insulin. It's weird. I, it just seems to be a one-to-one correlation. I know talking about sick, frail diabetics is out of context to bodybuilders, but yet they are people, have all the same organs in all the same places, and it seems to work that way. Mm-hmm. So there, again, is a reasonable assumption can be made that maybe the volume of carbohydrates influences the volume of insulin release. Yeah. And in fact, when you go to school – That's one of the things you learn, even in difference to the glycemic index. X amount of carbohydrates generates Y amount of insulin release over time. The difference in terms of glycemic index is not how large or small Y is, but how proximal Y is. High glycemic index carbs produce Y very quickly. Low glycemic index produces Y very distant, but it's still always Y. Yeah. 100 grams of carbs, this amount of insulin release, that's your answer. Mm-hmm. Now, that might change ever so slightly over time based on your health and mass and a number of things. But in general, the principle applies. This much carbohydrates, this much insulin, that's your answer. Yeah. No, that's great. Oh, and a, a, an interesting side note that you didn't ask, but I'll just throw it out there, yeah. is there also is no feedback loop. Like, for instance, with testosterone. You have a natural testosterone of this, but you take exogenous testosterone, your body stops making. That doesn't actually happen with insulin. If your body typically makes Y and then you take exogenous insulin, you get Y plus exogenous. 
just for what that's worth. No, I think people will find that interesting. And actually, I wanted to kind of summarize your comments there a little bit because it will lead into the next question, which is basically out of protein versus protein versus carbs. Carbs are more insulinogenic. Insulin Always. is in itself kind of it, what it provides the body. It provides can provide further anabolism. The more carbs you have, the more insulin you're going to get. That's kind of what the, the whole pre- premise of higher carb, lower fat is. Um, and then the next question that's come through is someone who said they actually disagree with the kind of high carb, low fat stance. And they said, I think that it may make more sense to have a higher protein bulk. Um, they said Alex Leaf and Jose Antonio wrote an excellent review on the overfeeding liter- literature. Um, and he, he was like, I highly recommend it. And I think you're aware of kind of the protein overfeeding literature. So I wanted you to kind of expand upon that qu- like statement or question in a sense. Um, again, as you said, you can design a study for anything. And that study, if I'm not mistaken, has been a very long time since I read it. But I seem to remember that was targeted more toward the concept of weight loss than weight gain. And that does matter because protein largely affects satiation. So overeating protein might reduce your total calorie intake and therefore be very efficacious to your goal again to your goal but in the context of hypercaloric accruing muscle mass all of that shit is powered by glucose makes sense to eat the glucose secondly on a macronutrient concept Fat does not stimulate – actually, it does. There's been newly discovered all these gut hormones. But in terms of anabolism and systemic impact, fat does not generate a hormonal response of measure. Okay, Protein stimulates a minor anabolic and hormonal response. Some insulin – it has been argued that over time – Protein could influence plasma sex hormones, although my personal suspicion is that's actually the saturated fat that rides with the protein, not the actual protein. But I won't make that argument here. I'll simply acknowledge that protein might have some influence on sex hormones. However, we move over to carbohydrates. As we just reflected, carbohydrates are directly related to volume of insulin. Insulin is anti-catabolic and in excess anabolic. So if you have three choices, no hormonal influence, mild hormonal influence, gigantic fucking hormonal influence, and hormones seem to be the thing. Again, drug users are way bigger than non-drug users. If hormones seem to be the, 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 the thing that rounds you over the hump, that's the thing that changes the game, which one are you going to choose? Again, turn it into something you like. Turn it into money or fucking marshmallows or fucking porn magazines or whatever. None, a little, a bunch. Hmm, none, a little, a bunch. It's it's not hard, folks. I'm really not oversimplifying this. If you're not following along with me, you're either – you have your mind made up in advance or you're just yeah. not very bright. This is not hard to work out. No, I, I think that was a great answer and – um now we've got through actually all the questions and I don't know if you have if you have some more time I actually have some thoughts of my own that I think people might be thinking or want to ask um, that we might be able to cover if you've got some time I have all the time in the world and uh, <laughs> you know 
Yeah. Awesome. Well, if you don't next... mind me yelling, jump oh, no. up and down. The yelling is absolutely fine. So I think you, I think everyone enjoys the yelling. Um, so my first question is obviously carbohydrates, depending where you get them from, um, normally have some kind of discretionary pro, uh, protein coming with them. Um, and obviously we're going low fat, so we're trying to keep our fats down. Um, so when we're going for this higher carbohydrate diet, lower fat approach, we get quite a lot of essentially additive protein from these carbohydrate sources do you do anything to change your protein recommendations in regard to that or do you count protein as kind of do you only count from higher quality sources what's your um, thoughts and processes there funny you mention that because i was somebody in, in reference to that article i wrote about carbohydrates somebody actually took issue with the protein value and they're like oh my god two grams of protein per kilogram like you know you're gonna kill people they're gonna die of kidney disease and oh, I, I, I can only assume the individual in question just didn't grasp the metric system because that's you know 10 percent <laughs> less than one gram per pound which has been bodybuilding yeah you know lore for again 100 years maybe i don't know a long time um probably since the inception of the metric system quite literally um and yes it's twice the, the american rda recommended Dumber. Yeah, it is. But it's pretty safe and sensible. But anyway, my, my argument to them was this. Um, run down to the grocery store, grab a one pound, 454 gram package of white pasta. There's no there's no more obvious carb source in the known universe. White pasta. OK, a container of white, a one pound package of white pasta is about sixteen hundred calories. And in that 1,600 calories comes about 55, maybe 60 grams of protein. So if I were going to consume all of my daily calories from white pasta, that's three and a half, three-ish boxes of pasta, okay? If I ate no protein other than just white pasta in a bowl, I'd get 160 or so grams of protein, just from the so this idea that 200 grams is madness well, you're out of your fucking mind like you you accidentally eat that much like if you sprinkle a little cheese on that pasta and have one slice of you know meat you're way you're 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 into you're into the you're into the crazy zone it's stupid um now to answer the question you asked um i really really undervalue or in actual terms i think everyone else overvalues protein quality yeah. i really think that is one of the least of your concerns um because we are into such super physiologic volumes again i don't think that the government went out of their way to lie to us in regards to the rdas in whatever nation you live in nor do i find it a coincidence that Roughly every civilized nation on earth has a very, very similar value. I don't think that all the nations in the world got together and colluded. How much protein are we going to let our people have? 0.8 grams? Okay, that's good. Well, you be different. Go to 0.9. And, and you know, fuck you. You can be 0.7. Like, that, I don't really believe they did that. I think they did reasonably sensible studies, got a reasonably sensible answer, and there you go. So... <clears throat> My point is, is the very nature of an athletic diet drives these up to 200% of what's medically and clinically needed. I think that the sheer magnitude 
overwhelms any of these concerns about specific composition and makes protein quality relatively moot. Interesting. No, because I know um, I'm not sure exactly what my stance is on it exactly. I don't know the exact kind of biology and mechanisms behind it. I know a lot of people are kind of, they might count half of the protein that they get from vegetable sources, from grains and things like this due to it not containing a full amino acid profile and things like this. And it kind of makes sense. Um, I don't know whether it's black and white though, whether you're wrong, they're right, blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, I can even walk you through, you know, how that works, but, um, and again, these kind of statistical analysis, again, we're, you know, we're not talking in a vacuum. These sort of statistical analysis have been done, um, you know, and it's even been shown a true and total vegetarian diet, although the reality is in practice doesn't exist, but a perfect vegetarian diet does meet all of the, the you know requisite amino acid profiles to generate human tissue. So it's it's not – you know, and again, the typical vegetarian diet is down in that 0.81 gram per kilogram range. Now we're taking in twice that much, so all, all the gaps are filled in largely. I, I wouldn't argue that it's perfect and there's no room for improvement. I would say, of all your concerns, that's probably not the top of the list. Mm-hmm. And again, especially, and I'm not trying to double talk, but especially when you're considering. You're going out of your way to get low-fat food sources. They're largely high-quality foods. You know, you're not eating spam as your protein source. You know, it's it's relatively speaking a high-quality. It's poultry, fish, beef, eggs, you know, what have you. I, I just don't think that that's where you need to spend your energy con- and concerns. Mm-hmm. I guess that would be even more interesting to any of our vegan and vegetarian listeners because – they are getting the majority of that. Well, they have to get all of their protein from potentially a lot of um, lower quality sources. So it's really interesting. The only addition I was going to add is for a lot of the people I coach, at least they are kind of, they come from a background of probably excess protein. So they're having maybe three grams per kilo for potentially. So they actually find I have to give them a bit more than maybe is recommended anyway. And I find myself enjoying maybe a bit more than what might be recommended. um, And it just kind of, it's not so much that it takes away from other kind of macronutrients, but it's just an additional kind of that preference, that adherence factor. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, cool. I don't think I actually had, I think that was the only question I had off the top of my head to add in addition. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add um, that's come through from our discussion. Um, but I think if this does draw more questions, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure it will draw enough questions for you to do a whole nother um, spiel on it. Oh, actually, the only other one I had was: Is there any um, issue with doing this like long term? Um, is there any kind of cutoff point where you should think about? Okay, I should obviously there's cutoff points in just massing in general. So does it coincide with and that? And that's where I was going to say is it's not a coincidence that periodization is a thing. You know, going back to reflecting on my analogy of drug use, largely the the positives outweigh the negatives. Drug use, we can accept it's okay, it's good, but it runs its course. You can only anabolize and train hard and be dedicated and do all the things for a given period of time. So periodization is one of those things you just kind of fell out of the ether out of necessity. You can only really dig your heels in and do something 
for a given period of time. That period might depend on the person, conditions, etc. But again, your ability to do this will probably fail long before the physical mechanisms associated with it will fail. I accept that. But again, if necessity demands that you back off and you know adjust your training, well, the answer the decision's already made for you. Now we don't even need to talk about that other shit. Yeah. So uh, again, I think that people dwell on things that aren't relevant. Is your day-to-day life, your day-to-day structure, your necessities of living almost always pre-create the conformity that you need to follow. And and there you have it. And then there you are. No, yeah, I, th- I, I agree. I, th- I get so many questions like this, like sugar intake, do I need to worry about it? And it's like, well, if you follow all these kind of prerequisite rules, it kind of means that that's not an issue for you to even think about. And the same with like, I guess in the same way that you're talking about this kind of issue doesn't become an issue because there's other things that kind of happen before it becomes an issue it's the same with like training and injuries kind of you end up actually deloading and you don't get that injury so it's kind of like your performance declines and fatigue builds up and you deload before you get that injury Um, it's only when you're silly and you push the bounds too too much further than what you you should um, these issues kind of crop up Right. It's the same thing. Like, you know, people like, well, what if I, if I do this indefinitely, I'll get fat. I'm like, well, then you're very stupid. Then you're very stupid. You know, there's one of the many things you do is perform a test and go, oh, my fatness is getting a little out of hand. I'll back off. And then, you know, one factor determines the outcome for the other factors. Again, it's pretty simple. It it shouldn't be that complex. No, exactly. No, I love it. And uh, I love the simplicity thing I think is really overlooked and whilst it is simple in nature, it kind of, it does blow minds whenever, whenever it comes out. So I really appreciate you coming on again to cover these questions. And I know the audience love it when we get you on. So um, we're, we're sure to be scheduling another one in the future anyway. So thank you, Broderick. And thank you everyone for the, your questions.